So being that sort of person, like the question I have is, so what? I guess. And I often when I come to scripture, I ask that question, so what? You know, therefores and all the rest of what, what about it? Because actually if it's just up here and not here and doesn't work out, well, so what? Um, and so this morning I want to start off by, by, by saying, where's this world going to, I guess, is the question. Now we love to know the future, don't we? We all would love to know, even as we are now. We've kind of got these plans that, that seem to be coming into place, but we'd love to be able to look ahead, and you can't always do that. And hence, people go to fortune tellers and all sorts of stuff where we want to know what's in the future. And the reason why you want to do that is because when you know what's coming, you know how to prepare for what's coming. And when you know what's up ahead, then you know how to live now in order to be there later on. Now, some of you won't know, but um, 20... Six years ago, I was a bodyguard before I was a teacher and a pastor and a headmaster and all. Um, And I spent a lot of time in the parliamentary precincts. Um, And the thing with bodyguarding, now, yes, they trained us how to shoot and drive and kill with your bare hands and all those sorts of things, which bodyguards tend to be known for and which way to eat your knife and fork. Because when you're eating with a state president, you can't be using the wrong knife and fork. Um, So... And my claim to fame, if I can just let you know, is that at that time, F.W. was president, and I kissed his wife. <laughs> it was kind of like by mistake, and, he, and I was there, and it was one of those situations. But anyway, but the thing with bodyguarding is not so much the training of how to do all that stuff I mentioned. Because I remember clearly in one of the, the training sessions, the chap who was training, I said, if you have to use this, you're a failure. Because if you get into the situation where you have to use the training to get out of the situation, then you're a failure. You have to anticipate what you're going into in order to avoid that. And the best bodyguarding or VIP services will not take their people into those situations. And it's a bit like that. You've got to kind of anticipate in ahead to say, where are we going to? And then you react or you live now in order to be there at that space. Now, what is God's amazing master plan for this world. It says so in the Bible. Isn't it nice to have the book and you can kind of go to the back of it and and read the ending? Um, But in Ephesians, one of my favorite passages in Ephesians is in the first chapter, uh, and it it talks about how he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. I mean, what an amazing thing to read. We're homely and blameless, etc. And then it has this. It says, With all wisdom and understanding... He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. So through Christ, this is the mystery of his will. This is where it's going to. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. So when all times reach their fulfillment, this is it. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now that's important. You see, it's not just bringing unity like, oh, we're all so cuddly, cuddly. But Christ is going to be supreme. And all things will come under Christ. That's where God is heading to. That's the purpose of this. And when Christ came and incarnated himself within his own creation, the reason was to bring about the Father's will, which is to head towards that place. Now, that's important. Notice I said, when Christ, God himself, we're not talking about an emissary or some oak who, who did it. And this is what um, Alex preached on so, so profoundly last week as well. 
the importance was God himself was incarnate, not somebody else. It had to be God himself. And so as we stand at this time, and as we remember Christmas and, and God's coming amongst us, it's God's coming, Emmanuel, God with us. You see, God was on a mission. So in theological terms, it's known as the Missio Dei, or the mission of God. And this was the mission of God. But then if you turn to chapter 3 in Ephesians, also verse 10, and that's how I remember it so nicely, uh, it says this. How about this? Let me find it here. Uh, and it says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, create, here we go. His intent, this is God's, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So this wisdom of God, this, in, this thing that God has, this plan, it's through the church that this is going to be made known. So God himself initiated his plan through the Messiah day, coming, being incarnated, and now, through his church, we are going to be continuing and living out this plan. And that's, that's the so what to me. I go, so what? So why did Christ come? Yes, he came to bring peace. Isn't that amazing? Peace on earth. To reconcile us to him. To reconcile us to one another. As we sit here, brothers and sisters, we live in peace. Spiritual peace with one another. Under Christ's authority. That's the ultimate aim of everything. And God is saying, hey, you guys, us, go and tell people that. Go show them that. Go live it out. That's the so what. So what about Christmas? It's so that we can go out and live in this, in this manner. John chapter 20, 19 to 22 is the sort of main text that I'm working from this morning. Jesus has been crucified. His disciples are all gibbering wrecks. They gathered in a room, probably wondering what on earth to do. What do we do? This, this guy who we've given up our lives to follow, he's dead. Um, so what now? And then suddenly Jesus appears. And uh, he stands amongst them. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Again, isn't that beautiful? The Prince of Peace declares, peace be with you. And after this, he showed them his hand and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. Notice he has to say it twice. They were probably terrified. And then he says this. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So as Jesus came in this Missio day, in this time of Advent, as he came on this mission, as the Father sent him, he then says to the disciples and he says to us today, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Amazing. He didn't just walk off. He said, well, I'm sending you, but yeah, receive my spirit, because you know what? You can't do this in your own strength. And so that message goes out from God's incarnation, from his sacrifice, from his resurrection, to his, his fearful followers who were sitting here going, what now? He says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And he says it to us today. Now, we all are sent. Some of us or some people are sent off to distant lands or to specific places, of course, there's that, that sort of sending. But every single one of us is sent out into the world. We are told to be salt and we're told to be light in society. Notice not sugar. 
That's the modern thing. How many sugars do you want? Two, please. No, it's not that. It's not that we sent out to sweeten the place and make it sweeter. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you're the salt and you're the light. Because salt burns where people are wounded, but it heals. Salt brings taste. And of course, you can see nothing without light. In fact, I love the definition of darkness. You know that there is no such thing as darkness? By definition, darkness is the absence of light. Which means that when there's light, there cannot be darkness. And Jesus says to us, you are the salt and you are the light. In one of my favorite Psalms, 34, it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And then afterwards it says, blessed are those who take refuge in him. And I've often thought, you know, taste and see, salt and light. And, and how do people taste God and see God? One of the ways is they see us. And they see our salt and our light. And they go, there we go, I see God through them. I taste God through them. And, and we can taste and see because of who we are. And so Jesus was a sent person. And so my heart as we go forward and as we've come through this year and as we carry on, is to go, how do we live as sent people? If we are on this mission of God and he has passed the baton to us, what does it mean to live as a sent one in the world? How does that affect our lives? Because it means that each day we're going to live in a specific way, we're going to think in a specific way, we're going to anticipate in a certain way. How do we live as a sent one? And there are two things when I look at Jesus' life, living as a sent one, which I pick out and I think, yeah, let's apply that. The one, first one is Jesus was commissioned. As the Father sent him, it was a commissioning. It wasn't just coming on his own volition. He didn't just rock up. He was very, very aware of the fact that he was sent by the Father. The book of John, where that scripture comes out of, has 40 references of Jesus saying of himself, I am the sent one. You can hardly turn a page in the book of John. Go and try it page, look through there, you can hardly turn a page, I don't know if you can even, without finding somewhere a reference of I'm sent. So just a few, John 6, 36, for you do not believe the one he sent. John 7, 29, but I know him because I'm from him and he sent me. John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. John 9, 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. John 14, 24, these words that you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And those are just a, a selection just out of the book of John. So one of Jesus' greatest preoccupations is, I'm a sent one. He was commissioned. We're all commissioned, church. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Go into all the world and make disciples. And he breathed his Holy Spirit. That was a a prophetic gesture before the Spirit came at Pentecost. But we live with the Spirit. You know that the, the word fellowship, koinonia, was only used of the Spirit after it came at Pentecost. So we can have fellowship with God through that special relationship with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? My question is this. What is our greatest preoccupation? What is the thought which captures my heart and my head? When I wake up in the morning and I put my feet on the ground, what do I think? Have you ever thought about that? What do you think? Maybe you don't think anything. You stumble for the coffee machine or something like that. But what is it in our head? Maybe as a mom, you're waking up thinking, oh, I've got to, what's for breakfast? I've got to get my kids ready for school. Have I got 
maybe you're even thinking about supper because you know your son's going to walk in and go, Mom, what's for supper? And he hasn't yet had breakfast, if it's anything like our house. Is that your greatest preoccupation, mothers? If you are out there working, whatever you do, whether you're a lawyer, a plumber, whatever, is it what's in my diary? Do I have, how, where do I need to get? Is that our first thought? Is that our greatest preoccupation? Facebook or phone. There's some uh, statistics I've seen where most people will check their phone within the first, I think, 15 minutes of waking up to, to check if there's a message. Or is our greatest preoccupation, God, thank you for the breath I have. I'm alive. A new day. Okay, what now, God? I think Costa Mitchell quoted it. Was it that? I think the word was Daryl, hey? It was Daryl. Hey? I think of the, the boy's name. We, it was prayers. And the boy said something like, um, Dear God, count me in, Daryl. Hey? Remember that at the beginning of the year when Costa preached here? Are, are we like that? It's like, Dear God, count me in. I'm here. We have two dogs. And the one dog, the Bracky dog, man, she's like, when you wake up, she's there. Okay, okay, what are we doing now? What are we doing now? What are we doing now? It's like, count me in, I'm ready. Okay, we go, we're going now. And, 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 and fortunately and unfortunately for the last four months when we've been going through the things we've been going through, we haven't slept all that well and we've often been up at like three, four in the morning. And so Sandy and I have got into the wonderful habit of walking our dogs around the neighborhood, um, which is great because you get out and we can connect and chat and all the rest of it. But in the morning, as soon as you stir, Angie is like, she's there. And sometimes you don't even know it, but you're sleeping at the bottom of the bed. And as soon as you turn, there's a head there. Okay, let's go. <laughs> now, I think, when I think of Angie, imagine if we lived our lives like that. Okay, God, let's go. Where, where, what's happening today? Uh, what have you got planned? But you see, so often we pray prayers of something like this. God, please bless our plans today. Uh, our plans? You know, instead of saying, well, God, what are your plans for today? What do you want me to do? And I sometimes wonder, do we even care about that? Because we might be so busy with things. And that's a a thing where we fall victim of life. We've all been there at different times. And it's my challenge to you to go day by day to go, God, what for today? What have you got planned for today? You see, if we are conscious of being sent, like Jesus was conscious, then it affects our lifestyle then we have a sense of identity and we have a sense of purpose. I mean, I remember very clearly, and maybe you had an experience like this, when I was in Sabae or grade one, I mean, I was a little oak, I was the runt of the litter, I really was always in the front of the row and all the rest, tiny. And I remember Mrs. Pierce, my grade one teacher, sending me on a message to the other side of the school. And it was a big school, it was like 1,000 whatever, and the school, double story it was, and I had to go from the kindergarten all the way to the other side with a message for somebody else. I was commissioned by my teacher to take this message there. And as you exited past the grade three classrooms, the headmaster's office was there, and he had a door. And the headmaster is now my father-in-law, because I married my, the daughter of my headmaster, believe it or not. And he was a big man. You'd never think of looking at my wife, but he was six foot whatever, uh, Mr. Parsons. And I remember him coming out the door on the day when I was going past. And he probably thought I was a little bit rude because I didn't stop and say so, uh, etc. Because I was commissioned. I was on this, on this trip. And we did talk. And he was going, hello, where are you going? You know, the usual stuff. And I remember being so proud of the fact that I was taking this thing to the, to the grade 7 class teacher. And even the headmaster couldn't stop me. <laughs> I would say hello to him because actually, you know what? My teacher said so. 
And you know, well, I was going to say, I was going to say, you know who's boss in the school, but that's the school secretary. That's not the... But um, it's a true story. When I was a student and they sent us to do practice teaching, they said to me, when you come into the school, if you see a parking spot next to the front door, even if it's empty, do not park there. It's the secretary's spot. It's a true story. <laughs> but here's the thing. You see, God sends us out to reach people. God wants us to be touching people. Now imagine if there are, there are more than, how many people are there? Let's say there are 100 of us here today. And let's say that each of us woke up saying, God, what do you have for me today? And we walk through the day and just one person, each one of us, connected with one person. Whether it is an act of love, whether it's an act of mercy, some, somehow, if we were salt and light to one person, each day there would be 100 people from this body who would be affected with God's love. 700 in one week. 2,800 in one month. 20, call, call it 30,000 people in a year if each of us just connected with one person. Imagine that. That's amazing. But I think it's because we are not conscious that we commissioned and sent, that we missed the opportunities. I mean, you take the story of the Good Samaritan, which we know so well. Here's somebody who was bleeding and, and people walked past, etc. And then there's the Samaritan. We don't know his name. We know he was a good guy because he was called the Good Samaritan. Um, but he stopped. And he helped somebody. Now, I don't know where he was going. I don't know what pressures he had in his family life or, or work things. I don't know if he was going to miss an appointment. But he stopped. And I, when I think about that, the reason he stopped was because in his heart, he was willing to stop. See, he must have gone about life thinking, he wasn't looking for the guy beaten up on the side of the road. But when he saw the person, he went, okay, my day can be interrupted. And so often, I fall hopelessly short here, where I'm rushing around, and, and things go past, and I think, ah, I, I could have. Just that one act of kindness. But you see, if we sent, and we have that sense about us in our, in our minds, we're saying, I'm a sent one, I'm on God's mission, then we would be willing to have our days interrupted in order to spread his salt and his light into the world. When Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman, and his disciples came and they spoke about food, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. See, Jesus was saying, I, I get energized when I do this. When I'm doing the will of the Father, it energizes me. And God has put in our hearts things to do. And when we do those things, it energizes us. But if you like me, a stubborn person at times, I resist doing it because I think, oh, it would be so much, I'd be more relaxed if I'm doing this. But actually, when we're walking in the will of the Father, it, it makes us more alive. It energizes us. So I said we all have a general sending as a church. But here's the next thing, is that we have a specific placing. And you would have picked up in my heart over the last few months as I've preached, I have a, a real heart and a sense for this body or for bodies as church, for the church as, as God's instrument on the, on the, in the world. And we find ourselves here in this context, in Sarepta, in Hillcrest, in 2016, and God asks the question, what are you going to do here and through this body. Because if you're here 
just because it's the closest church or because it's convenient or because you like the way Milan plays the piano and certainly the way the guitar is played, well, then you're here for the wrong reason. But if you're here saying, God, what do you want me to do in this place? It may be playing musical instruments. It may be preaching as I've been privileged to be asked to do. It may be serving in any way with the children. There's been that call. It may be in so many different ways. It may not be on a Sunday. It may be with this group of people going out into another area or place. But God has called us and said, this is your body. In Ephesians 2.10, it talks about us being God's workmanship. You know, I love that word. And the reason why I love it so much is because the Greek is poema, which means we are God's poetry. We are his poems. Isn't that beautiful? We are God's poems. And he's created us with things in mind to do. And so while we are serving amongst each other, that's also where God reveals himself to us and his will for our life further. So as the Father sent me, so I send you. And so Jesus was commissioned. But the second thing that I saw in Jesus' life as he sent, came out as a sent one was that he was a dependent man. Now we hate that word, don't we? Dependent. I'm dependent on you. Life tells us you can't be dependent on people because then you haven't matured. And we see our, our children, and we've all done it. And obviously there's, you know, I'm talking about different levels, but, oh, he's so independent now, and it's like a thing. And if somebody's going their own way, oh, they've got their own thoughts. And I've got a friend on Facebook who's, this, who's got this kind of think for yourself and then you won't need God kind of posts, which he puts up. Um, and, it's, and it's all about I'm independent. I did it my way and, and all the rest of it. But you see, it doesn't work like that in, in God's economy. You see, in God's economy, he calls us to do it his way. Now, gratefully, he says, do it with your own personality, please. Hence, we like a fruitcake here, and there's so many different people who do it in different ways. That's beautiful. Doing God's will, which he said, this is the way that you need to do, but take what, how I've made you. You, my poem, let your rhyme and your poem express itself by doing it my way. But do what I say. Don't make up your own religion and go on your own pluck because then we've lost the, 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 the plot. You know, Jesus himself was baptized. Why was he baptized? Because at that act, he was preparing himself. He was showing his willingness to lay down himself to do his father's will. And Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it can't multiply. So in this... We need to be dependent. We need to be dead to ourselves, but alive to the person who God made us in serving him. John five nineteen says, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. But we need, and this is another thing where we do so badly, we need to give ourselves space to listen to God. When uh, our lives changed during the course of the, one of the first things I did was cancel our DSTV subscription because obviously that's, you know, money which can be channeled towards something else. And then when we knew we were going, I bubble wrapped the TV and it's sitting on top of the piano, bubble wrapped, and it hasn't been there for a while. Hey, it's staying bubble wrapped, I think. I think it's going to become the computer monitor or something because it'll be a nice big monitor. But... But we are so distracted by the things around us that we don't give ourselves the time to stop and actually listen to God 
and to hear from Him. And it takes time. It takes preparation. I, I had a secret hobby once. I have to tell you, I love building sites. <laughs> um, I love building because when you see what comes out of it, I think it's so amazing. But when our boys were little, Sandy had a music workshop which she would do for groups of toddlers and stuff. And uh, at that stage, I was in, in the ministry. I was a pastor, and my day off was a Tuesday. And so on a Tuesday afternoon, uh, I was available to take the boys. And so they were different ages, and Josh would go to the one group, and while he was there, I'd take Nicholas off and then reverse the process. But we were, it was in Rondebosch in Cape Town, and we'd pack a picnic. And then Nicholas and I would visit the building sites of Cape Town. And at that time, they were building villages rugby thing, and that was the best because we could get almost right inside. And so we could sit amongst like, the front-end loaders and everything happening, and we'd unpack our little picnic, and we'd chow it and, and watch it. And each week, we'd go back, each week. And then when they finished that, we went to the Mr. Price building on Clipfontaine Road and sat on the pavement opposite, and we could watch that. But here's the thing. Now, you're probably wondering, why on earth am I telling you the story? Here's the thing. We went week after week with our picnic. And sometimes we'd sit there and think, hey, not much has happened this week, has it? And particularly in the the one building where they were doing underground stuff, um, parking garage and whatever. And we'd come and see and not much happening, not much happening. And then suddenly, just like that, things would start happening. And once it got to ground level, it, then the building would go up. And, then, and it's like that with life, isn't it? Because when you are building something big, you take a long time in the foundations. And it looks as if nothing's happening. And sometimes it looks messy and, and ugly. But actually, if we're in that place, and this is where I draw from this, even myself this year, I go, it might look messy and it might look ugly, and we might not be able to understand it. But there's a building coming. And we've got to take time to, to build that foundation. And one of the ways of doing that is spending time with God, switching off the TV, listening to Him, asking Him, what do you want for me? I'm a sent one, commissioned, dependent. I'm following the Missio Day, continuing God's mission on this world. And so the source of our sending also needs to be our resource for our sending. Think about that. Isn't that comforting? You see, when we go out on our own plans, then we've got to find our own methods and, and plan. But if God sends us, well, then he'll resource us. So when Moses reaches the sea, if it was Moses' idea, there would have been a problem. They would have had to hire in some dredges and whatever. To, but no, no, he could go there and say, all right, God, we've got an issue here. What now? And God in his might and his power comes through and says, take me. So when we go in our own strength, then it's our own problem. Moses was dependent. He couldn't speak. He said, who, who must I say sends me? Paul was dependent. If we look at him, he said, if I boast, I'll boast in my weakness. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So here's my thing for this morning. Let's be armed with purpose. Let's be part of the whole called Sarepta. What are we doing together and each day as we live our lives? Because together we're going to find the will of God for our lives and we'll find what is meant how we are meant to serve his body. When Sandy and I first got married and we had our children who we were part of a church grouping called NFI at a church called Jubilee Community Church in Cape Town. Well, it was Vineyard first, but it became Jubilee. And the leader of NFI, Terry Virgo, made, said something which I've always kept, and I've loved this quote. Listen to what he says. Once upon a time, 
Jesus of Nazareth was the body of Christ. Now, we are his body and individually members of it. Our head is in the heavens. His body is on the earth. Isn't that beautiful? Our head is in the heavens. His body, us, is on the earth. So how are we living our lives? Are we living it each day like Angie the dog that wakes up and goes, count me in God. What have you got for me? And we can't see into the future all the time, but we can see today. We can see the next step. Are we being available and willing and open to God to say, God, lead me, lead us, just work through me. Let me be salt. Let me be light in this world where it's so desperate for his love and his light. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the light of the world and you step down into darkness and where there's light, there cannot be darkness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that your light is amongst us and that your light is within us and that we know you because you have revealed yourself to us. Thank you that we can worship you as the incarnate, the Emmanuel, God with us, because you stepped into your creation. Thank you that you didn't stay here, but you have become glorified as you rose again after you gave your life for us and you reign in the heavens and on the earth. We thank you that your purpose is to bring all things under you. And we thank you that you've given us the commission, that you commissioned each one of us to be your hands and feet, your body here on earth. We thank you that as the Father sent you, so you send us, and that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will move amongst us this morning, that you will work in our hearts and our minds. I pray that you'll arrest us, that you will take who we are, and that you will just rearrange our minds and our lives and our hearts. Holy Spirit, let us live for you. Even when our world seems to fall apart, even when we think we've got it all together and we don't need you, especially when we think we've got it all together and we don't need you. Oh God, help us wake up every morning and say, lead me, Lord. Here I am. I'm available. Thank you that you're active in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit.